Ena iwi o te motu, no piki mai, no kake mai ki tēnei o nga hotaka te ahikā i runga i te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Ko marae arakurakua hau. Welcome to Te Ahikā, our Kaupapa Māori show here on Radio New Zealand National. I'm Marae Rakuraku. Hard to believe, eh? It's August or here at Tsuri Kuoka. Now, this week's show is going to be a little unusual. Shanita Hama Raheke is a powerhouse of a wahine Māori. She really is. The Hastings-based 35-year-old mother and grandmother is slowly, and you'll hear, effectively changing her life and those of her whānau around her. For the next 50 minutes or so, we'll hear her story. A couple of months ago, I was in Hastings and Napier recording material for my upcoming episode of Whakatefetefa. That's our documentary series where Justine and I focus on one issue. Mine coming up on the 5th of September is about gangs. Thanks to another powerhouse wahine, Miriana Pittman, I met Shanita Hama Raheke. Oh, kia ora, Mariah. Kia ora. I'm Shanita, Shanita Hama Raheke. Now, you're born and bred in Hastings? Aye. And how long have you been in Hastings for? Ah, uh, 36 years. We're at a women's refuge training here. Would you share your story about why it is that you want to work in women's refuge? Yeah, of course I will. Um, I'm a survivor of domestic violence and a survivor of also other violence. Abuse, you know. So, um, and I used to be in and out of women's refuges for safety and stuff like that. And then I started being, then I went on a women's program and started um, meeting other women and staff members, became quite close to the staff members at the Hastings Women's Refuge. Yeah. And um, just the encouragement and just know that there was someone there for me and that um, they looked beyond what happened, beyond what the things that had happened to me and looked at me as just a person, but just helped me go through those things too. Yeah, and then um, I started getting a passion for women and children that have been involved in domestic violence themselves or some kind of. With 36 years old, you've been with your tāne since you were 13. Yep. So that's 22 years? Yep. The domestic violence you suffered, was that in your whānau with your tāne? Um, that was part of it, but um, I had a, just been brought up around violence all my life. Um, my mother was quite violent herself. Um just the sexual abuse and all that, you know, becoming a um, bit of a rebel, as you might say, being on the streets in Wellington and stuff like that, running away from home and getting myself into difficult situations that probably I just am glad I'm alive today, you know. Um, so if we look at your whānau life here in Flaxmere as you were growing up, you're one of eight kids? Yep. And you're the oldest. Can you talk a bit about that life? Um, my mother was just, my mother was more or less like, um, 
she had her own stuff and she just did her own how can I put it she was trying to bring up her family yeah she was bringing, yeah, she was bringing up all of us up at that time it was just me, my brother and a sister and then she met up with her husband or ex-husband and then other her violence started happening in her life too. So, and we were able, we were witnesses of that violence. Um, but in saying that, you know, she and we more or less got the blunt end of everything. Or I did anyway. What sort of effect did it have on you, Shanita? It had a big effect on me because she she ended up turning to alcohol and stuff like that. And then parties and all that kind of stuff started becoming um, part of my life in our household. You know, the parties, the alcohol, the people involved and all, all that kind of stuff. And that's when the sexual... Um, Abuse and all that started happening. So, and when you ended up on the streets in Wellington, yep, that was just more or less like me running away from everything, you know, trying to find safety. How old were you then? I was twelve. Yeah. And how long were you living on the streets for? For about six months. Yeah, just, and then um, meeting up with. The street kids and all that, getting addicted to glue and um, Hanging out down at the railway station. Yeah, railway station, under the bridge, you know, the lagoon, Pigeon Park. <laughs> hey, uh, I remember this time when, um, well, I think it was Happy Days. Happy Days used to be on TV back then. And all you could see was the TV through the window. We used to have our sleeping bags on in Cuba more, you know. Watching happy days. Happy days, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then wanting to have a wash, we'll just go down to the, um, to the, what do you call it? Pigeon Park. Yeah, not Pigeon Park. Oh, the Park. fountain? The, the fountain. fountain, yeah. And just go have a wash under there. And um, the hotels used to leave their doors and they'd open there, eh? So we used to go in and get the little shampoos and, you know, mission and go down to the mission for tea. Yeah. So, but they looked after me really well down there. So there were some bad experiences down there too, you know. Yeah. And then how did you end up back up here? Um. I got caught by the police. Um, they got the social welfare involved, and they flew me back up here. And, yeah. Did you end up being reintegrated back into your whānau, or were you put into a foster home? I was just like, they, my whānau started um, intervening and stuff like that, but... It wasn't helping me. I was getting worse because um, how I felt back then was back then I was only young. They, they didn't want, there was no love there. They didn't show any affection to me. Within your whānau? Yeah, it was all about, oh, you're just a little, you know, you're looking for attention and stuff like that. It's real hurtful stuff, you know. So and that played a big part of my life is all that um 
the verbal stuff. And then I became quite violent myself and started fighting in. Now, by this case, by this stage, are you coming to police attention in terms of getting um, convictions and appearing before court? Yeah, got all, yeah. They had all that kind of stuff and then getting sent away to girls' homes and stuff like that, yeah. And what were your experiences like at the girls' homes? I loved it. Yeah. Routine? Um, yeah, there was routine, structure. Friendship? Um, I more or less felt felt a friend, you know, more or less um, had the staff as my friends. I didn't get on with nobody. You know, everybody sucked that, back then. But if that just that one person showed me that they cared about me, I'd like to get attracted, you know, yeah. draw attention to them hmm, and keep looking for that. Meanwhile, what's happening with your siblings? My siblings, um, I've got... They're either gang members or with gang members. I've got three sisters that um with gang members. I've got a brother that's a gang member and a brother that's a prospect of a yeah. When you were um in the the girls' homes was that Weymouth and down in, down in Christchurch? No, Miramar, Koitere. Jeez. I don't even think those places run anymore, eh? Nah. Yeah. Oh, they was back then, and Ipuni. Okay, so you're under social welfare care up until you were yeah. 17? State ward. Yeah, 16. Come out of state ward, sorry. Yeah. And then what happened? I, I um, came back up here. Got involved with another crew, you know. Um, and then just got involved in different activities. Became, you know, um, just using my body, you know. Didn't care about respecting my body or anything like that. Didn't care who I was with. Within the street lifestyle... Or yeah, probably, yeah. At a young age it started, you know. Yeah, at a young age all that kind of stuff started. Started hanging around different, a different crowd that was involved with uh, young girls, 13-year-olds, hanging around Mong Mob. But at that time we looked older than what we actually were. And um, I was quite promiscuous myself at that young age. And then um, Shanita's at the whole looking for love wherever it is. When I look back at it, when I looked back at it from where I am today, yeah, or equating sex with love. Mm. Yep, definitely. If somebody could hold me just for that second, you know, that they were showing me that they loved me, but that's what I knew back then. So then um, I met my husband through all that. He must fell in love with me. <laughs> he must have liked what he got, eh? <laughs> well, well, must have gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> he did think I was 18. <laughs> yeah, I was only 13. <laughs> well, you fellas able to joke about that now, years later? Yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs>
So yeah, but we've we've been through lots together. I'm Mariah Rakiraku, this is Te Ahika, and you're listening to Shanita Hamarahike, who is recounting her life story, which involved being made a ward of the state. That's where the state government takes over the parenting role. Now SIFS, the Children, Young Persons and Family Service, previously known as Social Welfare, they now call it Children in Care. There was a period Shanita spent living on the streets in Wellington after encountering physical, psychological and sexual abuse at her home in Hastings. During this time, she met her husband and went on to have four daughters and two mukupuna. Shanita had her first baby when she was 17. Now, this isn't so different to many women's stories, right? Only her husband was in a gang and Shanita was surrounded by the temptations and reality of that lifestyle. You were telling me earlier that he has 17 brothers and sisters? Yeah, all up. Yeah, 17 wow. of them. And he was part of the um, the gang scene here that you were also part of. You had witnessed a lot of violence as you were growing up. And what we've spoken about here today, you know, violence just doesn't spring out of nowhere. It's usually come through generationally. Hmm. Was that the same for your Tani? He wasn't around a vo- His mum and dad wasn't violent, actually. I don't know what happened. Oh, in our relationship, just the the violence just started coming. But I think I had. I think it came from a lot of insecurities from both of us. Like that's not an excuse at all. But um, being insecure and all that, and fighting your way to find that security. Yeah. So how far in the relationship before the domestic violence started happening? Uh, the first time he ever hit me was more or less at the beginning of our relationship. Um, asked me why I didn't leave. So why'd you stay? Because of that I was feeling protected because of the abuse and all that that was happening at my own house. That I, at least I could go home to someone that will be over me. You know, I um, felt that he cared for me, that he loved me. Yeah. And did that come, the love, did it come eventually? To be honest with you, it's just started. Yeah. To find, you know, we thought love was in bed. Have a fight, get beaten up, all the hugs and kisses are in the room. Everything's all right. You know, the sex was great. And then the cycle just kept starting over and over and over again. You know? But until we started loving ourselves first, that's when we started actually loving one another properly how we were supposed to in the first place. Now, you were saying that he didn't witness the violence himself as he was growing up. Do you think it was part of the lifestyle that you were having as being part of the gang culture? I'm not too sure. Honestly, I'm not. Because he was... Um, they were quite close as brothers and sisters. Yeah. So I can't really mention about how he became like that. Hmm. But the key thing now is that he doesn't want to be like that anymore. No. And we can have take, and we can have an argument, but in a healthy way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 
And then when we, our voices are starting to raise, he's quite good actually, because when our voices are starting to raise, he's like, no, mum, no. I'm not even going to go there with you. I'm not even going to. It's not even worth it. And then later on, we'll sort it out. When we're in the healthy, in the healthy mode, yeah. Because when you're ugly and you're angry and you're flared up, eh, so much horrible stuff can come out of our mouths. And, that, and then we end up bringing other issues into Yeah, from five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> from and 12 and, and years the, ago. And the, and the thing that you're arguing about does, is nothing compared to what <laughs> everything else that's been put into the argument. So, yeah. But it's um, going to be a great thing because our kids are seeing the difference. I remember one time he rang up and he says to me, um, Mum, where's our kids? I says, oh, what for? I want to ask him this question. I says, what question is that? What effects did I have on her, on them? When I was being ugly and being abusive, how did they get affected? And he asked each of our kids. And one, our oldest daughter says, um, Dad, I didn't know you. The other daughter says, Dad, we were, I was scared of you. Yeah. And the other daughter turned around and said, there was three of them at the time. And our um, baby turned around and says, you was an ugly monster. Mm. And he really felt their words. Yeah. But that's because he's been wanting, because he's wanted to make that difference. He wanted to make that change. Oh, yeah. Is he getting the necessary support inside to do that? Yep, he's had other. He's been on other programs and all that. But at that time, he he wasn't um, ready to receive receive it. But um, like a couple of years ago, he was ready to receive help. Uh, he's been drug free for now two and a half years. Even though he's been in prison, it's still easy to get drugs and all that in there. You know, I used to be part of it. But um, he's had a lot of support, especially um, with a lady, Tracy Courtney. Um, he's been on the DTU program. What's that? It's a drug treatment unit in prison that was uh, for three, uh, six months. But uh, the tools that he learnt in there, he really holds on to them, eh? And it also gave him a um, sense of who he is, that he doesn't have to be that person that he was or thought he was. Yeah. You know, walking around, thinking, yay, thinking you're walking around being cool, but at the end of the day you're intimidating another mm. person. So he started recognising those things. It, was, it may may seem little, but when you can intimidate somebody just by the way you look and by the way you walk, that's a big issue. So once he started recognising those, I was like, whoa. And then I went is he still pitched up? Yep, he is. But uh, I remember going in for a meeting. I remember one of the um, counsellors ringing me up and saying to me, hi, Shanita. I was like, hi, Faye. And she goes, oh, Duncan wants you to come in for a meeting. And straight away, my he needs to tell you something. And straight away, my heart started beating. 
They'll say, oh no, what is he going to tell me? Is he going to tell me he's had a fear for like the last five years? Is he going to tell me he's got another kid out there somewhere? Anyway, I went to the prison and I was still driving along having those same thoughts in my head. And then when I got to the prison, um, his counsellor turned around and says, I asked Duncan to write what he wanted to say to you down on a piece of paper. At that time I was shaking because I didn't know what he was going to say. And then um, she turns around and says that Duncan turned around and goes to her, no, 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 Faye, whatever I'm going to say to my wife, I'm going to say it from here. And he pointed to his heart. And I was sitting there and I was like, oh, no. Okay, hurry up, just give it to me. <laughs> but he said to me, he goes, you know what, Mum, you've been there for me 100%. You've been a loyal mother, you've been a loyal wife your loyal grandmother. He goes, and when you're not around, I'm like a glass that shatters. I was like, whoa! But to me, still not, still having that thing of... He's going to tell me something really yeah. ugly. Or still thinking that he was the old person, and I never, because I never got to hear those kind of stuff. The only time I got to hear those was kind then. of stuff is if we had a domestic mm. dispute and we're in the room. But when he said that to me, I just like looked at him. I was like, "Okay, what are you on?" <laughs> you know, because I wasn't used to that way of him talking. So and now I'm starting to get the realization of it all. That year he has made changes, genuine changes. Yes. Yeah, because sometimes a lot of um. A lot of fellas inside go, yeah, I've changed, I've changed, I've Definitely, changed, and yeah. then they're out in five minutes giving their wahi now another hiding. But you, you know yourself, like I know myself, and women know themselves. If they've been with their tiny for so long, they know. When he's been straight yeah, up. And they know, oh, here it goes again, mm. the same old talk. Oh, when I get out, my babe, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, you know. But there's no action taken. They haven't done anything to support those words whereas this time he's done things to support what he's talking hmm. and um, now we're both getting, we both do counselling separately individually, individual counselling and now we're doing counselling together we had our first um, our first counselling session a couple of weeks ago oh, I don't call it, it was just a support and we had, um, we found out just through us talking to one another, we had some issues. Uh, my issue was around trust, but it wasn't got. It had nothing to do with infidelity trust. It had to do with the trust. With if he's going to come out, what has he put in place? If his friends come around with a box of alcohol, or come around with the joints, you know, if people come over and want to sit at our table all day. What what has he put in place for that? And his one was like fear for me. If he doesn't do as he's told, I'm ringing the police. So that's his one. So that now that we've um, discovered those things, is now we have to work on them. And we've never did that before. So that's a big step for us. It's quite exciting too.
Shanita, what made you want to carry on working at the relationship? You know, a lot of women just decide that's it, I'm, I'm gone, I'm out. I always held on to their hope. Always held on to it. That, yep, one day there's going to be some changes. And when the changes are going to happen, they're going to be major changes. You know? Um, I don't consider ourselves as going to be perfect. But I do, I am going to acknowledge that we're going to um, do things differently now. So that, you know, it's not going to end up in a big fight and we're not going to be abusive. You know, we're not going to use drugs and alcohol as an excuse. Yeah, that making change is just thinking different. Yeah. So that means he has to make big changes in his life too, just with his friendships? Yeah. But, like, um, it's it's all right to have those friends, but it's not taking on behaviours, you know, the violent behaviours, the drug and alcohol issues, you know, but it's still because we just don't know. One day there might be someone that might want to want what we got, and that's just knowing who we are, you know. And thinking differently, so and if we if we can, if we can make a change to one person's life, we're making a change to a hundred lives, because they're not going to carry on. All that kind of stuff, they're not going to carry on the crime, the drugs, the alcohol, the violence. They're going to show their whānau, you know, that they love them, they support them, they respect them. But it's wanting to love and respect yourself first. And that's what I needed to do, is love and respect myself first. Stop hating on myself. Stop looking at all the, dwelling on all the bad stuff. But yeah, it was, but hey, get over it, you know. Look who I am today. Hmm. I'm Maraia Rakaraku and you're listening to Te Ahikā. Shanita Hamarahiki is talking about the changes she implemented in her lifestyle to turn from the gang world that she had grown up around and married into. After this broadcast, you'll be able to podcast at our website, radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Te Ahikā. And don't forget, you can always email us at Te Ahikā at radioNZ.co.nz. That's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A. You're listening to Tiaika, Radio National. For women in violent domestic situations, handling it and staying was a mantra from agencies and society. I mean, how many times have we heard, you've made your bed, now it's time to lie in it? That all changed in 1995 with the Domestic Violence Act, or did it? Legislation is one thing, but living within it and then finding the strength to leave is another. In researching the story and hearing from many women, I learned two things. One, no amount of telling will get someone to leave. They have to leave or change their life when they're ready. And two, don't judge. Your kind words, gestures or just silent non-judgment could just be the push a woman needs to leave. Or not. 
as was the case with Shanita. Just um, what what did reach that point is me going into the refuges and all that, meeting um, a different s- circle of people, that um, their words were different, the way they interacted was different, um, just uh, things that they did, the activities that they did around me was different. And I wanted some of that. Mm. Then I started looking at my own life and started thinking, you know, is this what I really want? Is this who I really am? Yeah, so I started um, asking questions. Not only um, asking questions to myself and asking questions to other people. Yeah, and then started... um, getting help for myself. So going on with you at this stage, you're in a relationship with your Tani. Is he supportive of the change that's happening with you? Oh, yeah, he is. He's um, he's also done change in his own life because he's, um, he's been a gang member for the last 26 years. Yeah. And that's in the Mongol mob? Yep. And he's made change in terrific horrendous changes <laughs> yeah in his life he's um serving a four year sentence yeah so and drugs drugs was our lifestyle using selling yep using selling right down to IV needles you know stuff pills so it wasn't just marijuana, wasn't just deck. It's everything. I've never been a deck smoker. Deck wasn't. Um, nah, let's get paranoid, man. <laughs> so are we talking like class A, class A drugs here? Yeah, class A, class B. But yeah, he's been in and out. He's, I think through our um, twenty-year relationship, he's probably spent about nine years in prison through the same thing. That would have had an impact on you and your kids. Yep. Not having their father around. Definitely. Because one thing I can say, through the um, tucky that me and him used to have, and with um, the gang life and stuff like that, one thing I can honestly say is that he never, ever pushed his children aside, you know? That's one good thing I can say about that he's always had is he's always been a good dad and always been protective of his children. Hmm... So what about the gang lifestyle? I mean, is that lifestyle conducive to whanaungatanga? Okay, what do you mean? (laughs) Oh, is that lifestyle supportive of you trying to do good within your own whanau? Yeah, actually, actually, yeah, it is. Because you get some of the brothers and their wives, you know, just wanting someone, because of my lifestyle that I used to have before, I feel that... um, you can get some of the sisters and some of the brothers that just want to come and just have a kōrero, and and then you then you've got me. Will be able to understand where they're really coming from, you know. And it's not like just giving them; it's like really sitting there and just listening to their kōrero. And it's not the. I guess it's it's kind of like they don't need to explain too much because you know what they mean. Yeah. Because you've been there. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I really do know. You know. You know 
it can be a hard life out there in that kind of world. But if they know that someone's there that love them for who they are, but we don't have to love what they're doing. Or don't you know, we don't have to love their behaviours, but just love them as their as people. Shanita, within the um the gang environment, I mean, is violence just a is it just a normal normalised thing? Oh yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a, it, it becomes a norm. You know, it's like it's normal to put a pants on or a skirt or whatever. Well, that's what violence is like. But it's not until you actually, you know, break it. Yeah. Doing, like, programs and courses and understanding, getting that understanding of violence and um, where the behaviour comes from. Who it affects, what if what it affects, and I'm thinking that from what you described, you actually had to remove yourself from that environment because you can work on yourself so much. Hey, eh? I mean, there's a distraction there, yeah. but it's actually the environment that's still. Yeah, you like for me, I had to take myself away. I had to like disconnect myself from a few things. To um, was that difficult? Yeah, it was. It was difficult. And what like are the I few things? Take, like I had to take myself away from um, certain um, friendships. Um, Did you mourn for those friendships? Yeah, I still do, but in a different way now. I mourn because um, what they're still doing, you know? Yeah, I had to take myself from, away from the want. Because when you're wanting, like when you've got drugs and all that in your hand and you know what the cash is coming in and all that, and it's wanting the material stuff. Right, like wanting the big TV yeah. or the car. Yeah. So it's like getting rid of the wants mm. and stuff, come back to the basics. What did you replace it with? Um, I'm more or less constant. What I did replace it on is, this might sound stupid, yeah, it... Um, I started concentrating on respect and love and caring, you know? Yeah. Just like, yeah. Like the people around you? Yeah. So, yeah. Who wants to... What can a flash TV do, you know? What can a flash um, car or lounge suite do? So how did you end up filling in your time? I've got... Because I'm guessing that, that a lot of that lifestyle involves a lot of your time getting used up. If you're, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, if you're dealing drugs, you know, that can take up a big part of a day. Yeah. So what do you do to fill in that time now? It's study. I'm doing study now. I'm doing study at EIT. Um, getting um, a certificate in social science. Um, uh, I'm recently become a collective member in the Hastings Women's Refuge, so I work, work alongside um, women and children that have been involved around domestic violence. Yeah, and um, I'm in the Hastings Miracle Centre Christian Church. So it's just so I've replaced all that with other things. Like I just said, yeah.
Shanita, why do you think so many of our people move into a gang lifestyle? Um, this is my own personal opinion. It's a sense of belonging, you know. It's um, wanting to belong somewhere. Uh, wanting that protection. Uh, the values were different back then. The values are different now. So what do you mean? So uh, what I mean is um, you're somebody when you've got a patch out there. You're somebody when you belong to a gang. Yeah. But what they don't know, they're somebody anyway. Yeah. But it's not until we start reaching inside ourselves and getting the information that we need to know that we are somebody, whether we've got a patch or not, whether we've got a red scarf or a blue scarf around our neck or not. So you first became involved with the gangs when you were a kid and you were talking about how a lot's changed since your involvement with it. What are some of those things that have changed? I mean, getting younger. The, um, the, the prospects. Yep, yeah, the age in the society of being a gang member. Yeah, it's getting younger now. Back then you could just, like I said to you earlier, back then you could have a fight and it was all over. Whereas now you have a fight and be careful for the backstab mm. or be, be careful for the retaliation. Mm. Yeah. Um, nobody really accepts getting a hiding these days. Yeah. So, so by accepting you mean if they've done something that warrants getting a hiding... They're not willing to accept that they've done something that warrants getting a hiding. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't just like you should handle. You're going to get a hiding because you did that. Yeah. Because it's is it a bit like rules, the tikkuna or the kawa. Yeah. They've all it's, changed. Yeah, the air is a lot different now. Like I look at I look at my brothers and sisters today, on how they behave and stuff like that, and they just don't care. You know they. The behaviour these days, it's just they've got, they don't, they just don't care who it affects. Right, so if it affects the nanny down the road, who cares? Yeah, who cares? You know? As long as that nanny don't belong to the blacks or one of the gang members. Oh, right. Yeah. So being part of the gang overrules everything else. Hmm. Do you think it's become more or less violent? More. More violent today. Way more violent. Yeah. And what about the position of wahine? The, um, and wahine have more to say these days. They have, um, their voices has heard more than what it used to be. Um, what do you think that is, Shanita? I realised with the clever ones. <laughs> <laughs> they finally made the connection that the other ones at the brain. Yes. <laughs> like we've always been told that we've always been said that with the backbone. Without the backbone, you know, you collapse. So. What the backbone of the gang, or just the backbone backbone of yeah. Maori society? Yeah. 
you know, yeah. You can't get um, just my own experiences. You know, you can't get a gang member that will come up and cry to another gang member, you know. But he can share all his feelings to his partner or his children. You know, let everything out without feeling uncool. If you want to know more about the Domestic Violence Act, head to radionz.co.nz forward slash There are links, including one to the violence prevention campaign, It's Not OK. A month ago, I had a call at all with Victor Marzi. He's the public face of It's Not OK. If you trawl through our archived files, you'll be able to hear that call at all. Even now, there are certain terms applied within the gang lifestyle that have a visceral reaction. Shanita Hamarahiki and myself continue our kōrero about gangs and her liberation from that life. You know, when I was growing up, and uh, if there was one word that used to strike fear into young girls, it was blocking. I mean, I became aware of that word when I was a teenager. I mean, is that something that's still going on? No, no, it's not about that anymore. So I think a lot of um, our young ones these days, um, see who, it's more about um, who they're with and how much status that they have in society, in the community, you know, whether or not they're, the women are more or less like the young girls these days are more or less trying to go with the top dog more or less or the spunkiest dog or yeah so I mean is it not so much power and control anymore no it's more status yeah because I used to see blocking as being a thing about power and control yeah definitely yeah yeah you don't really hear of it now because I mean, if we, t- I mean, if I'm thinking about when I used to hear about it a lot, it was during the 80s and the 90s, yeah. and there was that situation up in Embury Park and Mangere yeah. Bridge that I remember distinctly because my auntie's house was just down the road, and she had told us all us kids that we went to go down to Embury Park. I mean, this is something like seven years after it happened, but it still was like striking fear yeah. in mine and my cousins' hearts. Don't go to Embury Park. Mm. Yeah, because we've got, we've got a park in uh, Flexmere, all the young ones, you know, they call it uh, Rapist Park. Um, there's a park up the avenue and all that, but you hear all the young ones calling it um, Rapist Park. Don't go to Rapist Park. And it must be what they've seen in there, yeah. or what they've witnessed in there and stuff like that. So that's what they call it now. It's like, I guess, when we were all growing up and everyone goes, keep away from that uncle, he's funny. Yeah. And they don't mean ha ha. (laughs) And then you're just kind of figuring it out that he is funny, but you don't know what it is. It's just like, oh, he's funny. And it's not funny, ha ha. (laughs) Yeah, everybody knows. So normalised. It's freaky, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is freaky. Mm. But it is, like, I've got four daughters now, you know, and 
I would hate to see them even have a little bit of my old lifestyle. You know? And like every time, every time we always, like if they're going to go somewhere, we always give them the third degree talk. No, don't get too drunk, you know, all you need to do is just go around the corner and spew up or something, next time someone's going to whip you around the back, you know? But you, that's reality, yeah, and you have to talk to ch- kids these days like that. That so direct. Does, yeah. It's like, and you're, you know, you have, to talk, you have to talk to them like, like I say to my girls, you know, you're not going to know who's going to pull down your pants and who's going to get into you. You're just not going to know why, because you're too drunk, you know? Know who you're with. Know that there's somebody stable with you that will look after you. Not bail on you. Yeah, be in a safe place drinking. Even with um, when they jump into cars and stuff like that, you know, with uh, cousins or something, or they're somewhere and then they jump into a car with somebody. So I've really, like, protected our kids in that way. And um, they hate the gang life. They hate it. They look at their uncles, their aunties, their cousins. Mum, they don't know what they're getting themselves into, eh? So they've witnessed a lot, our children. They've witnessed um, a lot of gang confrontations. Yeah. They would have witnessed the violence that they've you... Wit- they haven't witnessed, jiu-jitsu? they've never witnessed their father hit me. They've witnessed the verbal and the throwing the stuff around. They've that's still violence. They've but they've never witnessed their father physically hit me. But when you were going to refuges, they were going too. Yeah, half of them would come, and there was a couple of times where I'd just take the, all of them, and then half of them decided, no, I'm staying with dad. You know, dad was the money man. I'm Mariah Rakuraku, this is Te Ahika, and I'm talking with Hastings woman Shanita Hamaraike, who has worked to break free from generational violence in the gang world. Another factor that aided in that journey included... Us, having, um, us becoming grandparents. It's more or less um, given us another eye-opener to show them a different way of life that um, our kids had seen. Yeah... Do, do your kids feel bitter? Uh, what do you mean? Like, do they go, you did this to us, you know, I'm not going to... No. I honestly can say, and I'm not only saying that because... But I am going to brag. Oh, brag? Yeah. Brag away. Our daughters, they've, they've probably got the most humbling natures out. Um, the daughters that... No, they're, they're just not judgmental or anything like that. They're really caring. Um, they're loving kids. And they, they do show us a lot of respect. And we show them respect too, you know. So even despite all of that going on in your lives and with them in their early lives, would, you, would it be fair to say that they've been able to come through this unscathed? Or relatively unscathed. There's been some effects. There has been some effects on our children. How old are they? I've got a 18-year-old going on 19, 16-year-old, uh, 14, and 11. So there is some um, 
I'm not saying that that's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect, but they've managed, and it's only because we're quite an open whanau. We, um, and the effects that it has on them, like my oldest daughter, for, for an example, she's had a partner for five years. And he's had an addiction with pee and stuff like that and all that. So she's around that area. And we deal, we, we deal with that too, so, yeah. How damaging do you think pee has been to our people? It's, um, I call it, it's a devil's medicine. Hey. It's a devil's advocate. You know how I had it described to me? Was um, my mate said, this is what P does. You know the, um, the thing that stops you from running across the road in front of the truck? And I went, yeah. And she goes, this is what P does. You don't stop. You run in front of the truck. And as soon as she said that, I was like, is that what it does? And she said, yep. It takes all that control away, that impulse yeah. control. The thing that stops you from stabbing somebody, you know, you've just got that thing, go, oh, no, I can't stab you. She said, P just takes it all away, you stab them. Yeah. It's like, damn. I was addicted, we were addicted to P. And it got that, um, it, we got that hard out, we started using the ivy needles. And started, um, Really going hard on it. What sort of effect did it have on you? Um, at first, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest here. I did. I love it. I loved it. The sex was great. It lasted all night. You know, it was... And and being on it, and then my, my husband being on it too, it... You know, he just showed so much affection and love and all that kind of stuff. And we were all over the country, so just me and him chilling out together and stuff like that. We had everything. Um, we had... Sounds like bliss. It was. It was like everything on a platter, you know? Mm. Getting served on a platter. Had everything. But then the table started changing. What do you the mean? Sta- the table started turning. Were you coming down on a downer? No. The um, more we started using, the more it started affecting us. Right, so you needed yep. more, 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 more. Yep. And then we start, and then like our kids started getting neglected. Um, we were never parents to pass our kids to people. Only a couple of people that we trusted with our children. Um, we started giving them to any anybody. Um, they ended up getting um, like sores and all that kind of stuff just through their mum and dad not being there for them anymore. Um, isolation started creeping up, insecurities, all that stuff, uh, paranoia started playing a big part of our lives. So yeah, how did it stop? I had a I I had a I had a time where I had I had a break from it for a little while, and I started recognizing a few stuff that was happening, and that was happening to our children mainly. 
I thought, nah, you know, I'm going to lose them. I'm going to lose them or they're going to lose me. And at that time they were losing their mum. They were losing their dad. So I needed to make a stand. Whether or not my husband was going to come off it or not, I still had to make that stand so that they'll start becoming healthy again. How long had you been taking it for? About five years. I wasn't heard of in Hastings. Hastings wasn't on the streets back then, you know, we had to travel to go get it. Hmm. Now it's everywhere. Yeah. And it and it's really and it's um you see like I, I see now, I see families that were so strong and so knitted together. And you just get that taste of that drug, you know? And then they're stitching in their family and the knitting starts falling apart. And it just becomes uh, you know, nothing at the end of the day. And they're just seeing um, it's um, affecting the ages getting younger and younger. Yeah. The young girls are starting to use their bodies, you know, for pee. Yeah, and abusing themselves. So, yeah, it's like um, seeing a lot of stuff, eh? It's just... Seeing the wives and the children go through lots of domestic violence through it. Methamphetamine or PA, insidious stuff. And that was Shanita Hamarahike. Namihi mahana, namihi aroha kia kuehua. You'll hear more from Shanita on September the 5th when I present my documentary on gangs. Wasn't she wonderful? Next week, Justine's back and it's Te Wete, Wete time. That's our book review segment. Ana Tapiata is reviewing Timuera Morrison's book about himself, written by Paul Little. Now he also did the one on Willy Apiata. There's an art exhibition titled Poo for Kairo that's carved muskets. I report back from that. Hoki mai hei tera rā tapu whānau mā, mai te whānau a te ahi kā ki a tātou katoa Māori ora. <laughs> <laughs>